Welcome to the Self-Value Podcast, where self-discovery is your superpower. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Sue Bryce and our lineup of amazing guests. Together, we'll explore the distinct connections between self-value, relationships, career growth, and financial abundance. Through real personal stories and expert wisdom, we'll arm you with sustainable tools and strategies to become the best version of yourself and create the life of your dreams. Hi, everyone. Nikki Klosser here, and my guest today on the Self-Value Podcast is Mitzi Starkweather. Mitzi is a mom and entrepreneur who has grown so much in so many ways over the last few years. Mitzi has experienced a full-blown transformation with her self-value when she compares to how she felt a few years ago, and she shares with us all about how she has done this. Both personally and professionally, Mitzi has incorporated so much of what she's learned, including facing a significant injury and a serious health scare, into her life, and it is so refreshing to hear how she's living life now in a way that she wants to live it. You can hear this plus so much more on today's episode with Mitzi Starkweather. Hi, Mitzi. Welcome to the Self-Value Podcast. How are you? Hi, Nikki. I am doing so great, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. I know it's such a, like a, it's a vulnerable topic. I mean, if you think the th- the three, the name of the title, Self-Value, you know, it's some vulnerable stuff to talk about. It is, but I like talking about real stuff. I, I don't really like talking about, you know, small talk and all that. So if we can just get into this stuff, I think that's where like the real change happens. I know. It's so true. That's one of the reasons I wanted to interview you too, because we've known each other, you know, for a couple of years now through business and things like that. And that's something that I really love about you is there is no kind of sugarcoating. Like we don't have to stand and talk about the weather. We are like, we get into it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And one thing I appreciate appreciate about you, Nikki, is that you are good at holding space for people to just be whatever they are and say whatever they need to say. And I think that that's just as valuable. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, so let's get into this. Now, obviously, we're here to talk about kind of, you know, when I use the word transformation, I feel like everyone is is in a process of transforming when they're going through this like journey of self-value and and learning mm-hmm. to love and accept ourselves for who we are and make the changes that we need to have this life that we truly love. And so when I say transformation, I know it's an ever-evolving process that is going to continue to happen. So I just really want to talk about your transformation so far and where you were versus where you are now and how you did it. I guess that's kind of... yeah you know, the discussion we'll have. So, so let's go back a little bit. I Mm want to go back to, is there a time, and this could be a year ago, it could be 30 years ago, because how old are you? 32? Almost 33. 33, okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone has their own timeline of when they start to really kind of evolve their self-value. Like I said, it could right. be someone who just turned 40 and they they just started working on it and they have made insane amounts of progress in like six months. Mm-hmm. Or maybe someone, it might take a longer time or whatever. So whatever your timeline looks like, that's totally cool. So if you can think back to before you yeah. even knew, like, what is self-esteem? What is self-value? You know, when would you say that was? That the light bulbs turned on that you were like, I need to make some changes? I think for me, it was in uh, college because I was getting toward the end and I was planning on 
doing teaching. Um, then I changed that from being an English teacher to technical writer. And all along the way, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a photographer and I did it all the time and I was creative and I would make movies and just make stuff all the time. But I believed at that time that, oh, you can't make any money doing that. Mm -hmm. I had that belief for some reason. And then it was really through uh, Sue's business coaching for basically the next decade. That's what really made me start to look at this because I think when you look at self-value, when you first start to look at it, you know, we talk about love and money, right? Because money is like a way to just put a number and a mode of exchange on like this energy and these concepts that are otherwise can feel really just like just out there and like hard to define, right? Mm -hmm. So when it came to like, okay, well, what would it look like if I was going to run a business and charge enough money to make this my job? That was when I had to first look at all this stuff and go inside and really be like, well, uh, do I, you know, is the work that I can offer someone and the experience I can offer them, like, is it worth me being able to have a living wage? And for a long time, the way I acted was no. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I just wasn't willing to ask for it. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I think a lot of people really kind of confronted, you know, the lack of self-value or just, you know, not super strong self-value when they started a business. But it's— yeah. I mean, obviously, like, like, okay, let me let me ask you this. If you hadn't started a business, do mm-hmm. you think you would have even understood that there was a lack of self-value there? Or you know, or would you do you think like if you decided you were continu- you were going to continue on in teaching, would you ever have this sort of self-reflection? You know what I mean? I don't know. I I make jokes sometimes that like if I was, if I had followed my original plan and become an English teacher, like I would just be drunk all the time or like, just really <laughs> miserable person. Like, because I don't know. I, I think it's hard to say like what would have been the thing, like if it hadn't been money, um, just because I mean, we live in a capitalist society, like, right? If you want to find the answer to kind of any question, what do they say? Like, follow the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it kind of is deeply embedded in all of us in our time and in our culture that, like, it is, it's the thing. And I think we we all make so many decisions from it and about it that we're not even aware of. Mm-hmm. So I think— it was just the coming to awareness. And then I started to see it. It was like a domino effect because I started to see the self-value uh, issues come up in relationships. I just I had, a, I had a way to look at it. I was like, oh, interesting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, where am I giving stuff away and not feeling like I'm receiving equal exchange, right? And that can happen in just like, for instance, like bitterness showing up in how you interact with your family members or you know, just everyday things. And so I started to make sense of all of these things and realize that they're so connected. And I think at the same time, that helped me become more candid about money because I grew up in a family where it's like, oh, you don't talk about how much money you make. Like you brag if you get something for a great deal, obviously, but you don't. Totally. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. And now I'm like, 
I don't brag about something that's really cheap because I'm like, wait, if that shirt's $3, like some underpaid child in Bangladesh probably made it. And I'm not really going to like brag about that. But at the same time, I'm like, all of these things are connected. And I think that's been one of the biggest things I've noticed and really internalized through Sue's self-value education. Because even when she just taught it, just kind of through more of the lens of business, these same principles were still there. And then when, as she launched, you know, the self-value workshop and everything, I remember when I went to that um, back in November, so like seven months ago, and it was a huge turning point for me because I had thought going in, I was like, I hope she just takes all of the bones of everything she's ever taught and like coached me on and so many other people and takes just like the businessy details out of it. And that's exactly what she did. And she expanded on ideas and she... She took all of these principles. And so, like I said, when it comes to like talking about money or talking about love relationships, I talk about them in the same way because all of these things are just energy, right? And like Mm -hmm. what you value, like it just comes down to the energy. And we're so many different ways and so many different modes of exchange for that. And money's just one of them. So I think it just takes the like shame away from money that a lot of us have. Okay, so- Something that you said was about, you know, giving and receiving an equal exchange. And this happens in business. So so when we're talking about that, mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, if you're out there and you are an entrepreneur and you are a business owner, I'm sure this makes so much sense to you because it's like, okay, I now have to charge X amount to provide this service, but then I have to raise my prices and that gets super scary. But the, and it all comes back to self-value and mm-hmm. the, the ability to accept money and not just keep giving it away and to, you know, accept it with joy and gratitude and then in exchange for the service you're providing, right? And exactly yes. what you just said about how there is the exact same principle with relationships, with giving and receiving. And it are we mm-hmm. in equal balance here with friendships, with your partner, with mm-hmm. just pretty much everything. And so I love yes. how you you kind of like can just equate that to everything. It's because it's so true. So I just wanted people out there who maybe aren't super familiar with the way kind of Sue talks about like the equal exchange type situation that we're probably going to refer to that a lot because it really truly is important. And when things start to feel out of balance, that's when things need to need to change. Exactly. And here's where I see this. There's such a great example that happened in my life this week. So a friend of mine who I had shoot video for me for some uh, teaching content I'm creating, basically like this is someone who works at a salary job, right? And also has other creative skills. And I think a lot of people have this. Like I think many people who don't even own their own business can relate to this. You have other skills or other things you love to do and you love to do them, right? So for instance, this friend, I paid him to come shoot this video for me. He ended up going above and beyond doing things I hadn't thought of and everything like that. So the amount of money I had set aside to pay him, I actually paid him more after the job was complete because I said, well, I haven't paid someone for this type of work. And ever since you've completed the job, there's been this feeling in the back of my brain that's like, "Mm, that didn't feel like equal exchange. Like I didn't pay this person enough. So I paid him a little more and he said, oh my gosh, thank you. You didn't need to do that. Um, Let me know like, if you ever need help in the future. This was super fun. Like, Paid or not, I'd love to do it. Think of how many people have probably said that or thought that. I think a lot of us have. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I said, your skills are valuable. Your time is valuable. And 
I pay people for their time and skills because, again, money is just the mode of exchange. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I because of self-value, I had the language to put around that and I had that opportunity to look at, you know, a creative person who I've I've had this conversation with so many of my friends, like tattoo artists and, you know, hairstylists and all these different kinds of careers, right? They're like, well, I loved, but Mitzi, I loved doing this thing with you. I loved coming and working on this cool project with you. I'm like, wait, so are you saying that it just because you loved doing something, you shouldn't have to get paid for it? I think that is this magic spot where, especially those of us who are who loves something, right, that we do. Mm-hmm. If you also equate having a job as that, if you get paid for a job, you have to hate it. I think a lot of people also have that belief or like not really like it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. then they go, oh, and it's so interesting because, um, and again, literally while my tattoo artist a few months ago was tattooing me, so I pay her for this, but we're having this conversation and I'm like coaching her to raise her prices essentially. <laughs> you know how many people and, I've coached to raise them? I'm oh like, my God, I do doing? that to my hairstylist like while he's doing my hair. And then it's like the next time he charges more, I'm like, good for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I'm having this conversation with her and I said, I think we creatives can get to this point. So whether it's our full-time thing or it's just for fun, where we love it so much We love the people we work with so much. We love what we do so much. That's the point when we should charge money for it and charge well, right? But Mm -hmm. that's usually the point when we just go, no, 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 it's just for free. Mm -hmm. Because we think that just the, but it's like, no, you can get like, like, you know, gratification out of this and also money. Like that just means you're doing what you're meant to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that where I've seen this self-value come up in people who, they have a salaried, you know, job that's whatever, fine. But like, if you have other skills, like just valuing those um, and saying, yeah, this is how much it charges for me to do this job well for you and to yeah. be excited to show up for it and for it to feel like an equal exchange and it to bring that value back in my life. Like, I think that's a really powerful principle. You know, obviously, you know, like within our the self-value community and everyone, we, we talk a lot about feelings and bringing it back to how we feel. Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of talking a little bit more about this even given exchange, I think a really good way to, to gauge whether or not you are in equal exchange, and I don't even, let's take it away from business. Let's talk about like a friendship, for example. If you mm-hmm. feel like you are giving, 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 and you're feeling yes. some sort of resentment or hurt or just, you know, anger towards someone because they aren't giving you enough in return, that's when you know something is out of balance. And and it all it's going back to those feelings. And then if it is in business, if you are feeling like, you know, just annoyed or like this client is taking advantage of me or whatever, that's you. That's you not putting your prices where they need to be or charging what yes. they need to be. You're overgiving, you are people pleasing, you know, all of these concepts that we <laughs> that we talk about that so many of us are working through in order to just be able to have that sort of confidence to do what we need to do to be in balance. And it's just yes. such a process. Right. And it it's literally self-value. It's saying mm-hmm. My feelings are valuable. Like, right? Because if you believe that your feelings aren't valuable, then you won't feel them. Mm-hmm. It's so true. You have to feel your feelings, like, takes a considerable amount of self value. Cause I think, like, I used to underestimate 
how much my body and my feelings and my heart was always telling me. Like, it, it's like you're trusting your gut and your intuition. Like, it, there's a reason why it's there to help us survive. Like, there's so much that is so obvious. And I think we can tend to go into our brain too much mm-hmm. and be like, well, but actually. And it's interesting because I even had a friend this week I asked to come, you know, participate in a cool opportunity with me. And I knew it was out of her comfort zone. And what she texted me back told me so much. She said, my gut reaction is to say yes. So I'm going to say yes before my brain talks me out of it. (laughs) I was like, that is so powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is, I think that a lot of times it's easy to yeah, just talk yourself out of things or into things just in your head when the whole time you know in your gut what you need to do. Missy, like, before before you kind of allowed yourself to f- feel or, you know, to just be so self-reflective, mm-hmm. do you remember how you used to handle things? Like if, if a situation came up that was stressful or you were unhappy or whatever, oh, yeah. and what did you used to do? So I learned really on, early on to stop trusting my body and stop trusting my feelings because I am a highly sensitive person and like sensitive in, in every way, not just like, oh, she gets her feelings her easily, like, like the literal definition of sensitive, okay? So early on, when I did not have the self-value to advocate for myself or speak up what I needed or set boundaries with people, I was like, wow, this all this sensitivity around me in all these different ways is too much. So I'm just going to shut down and disconnect from my body and stop listening to it because I don't know what to do with all of this. And I only really got the perspective and language around this in the last few years, and it's been absolutely life-changing. But when it came to, okay, listening to myself— I had to start by getting back in tune with my physical body. Um, I actually did that through dance therapy um, in the last few years. Oh, interesting. And it was so powerful because think about dancing, right? And it's called Month of Movement. Um, Nata teaches it. And I talk about her like this amazing guru of a person because she is. She also happens to be my sister, which is really powerful. But she teaches this stuff. And one of the examples I love that she says is the happy food dance. She said, don't tell me you can't dance because every person, when they eat food that they love, they kind of shimmy their shoulders and they do the happy food dance. And I notice it all the time now. (laughs) Okay, wait, can we we just pause and talk about this for a second, Mitzi? Because I am that person who's like, no, I can't dance. (laughs) And if, like, literally... Okay, if I've had some cocktails and Dan and I are at, my husband Dan, you know, are at a wedding, neither of Mm -hmm. us can dance. We couldn't care less. We are out there and we are having an absolute blast. But when, like, some of my girlfriends are like, we should go out dancing, I, like, shrivel into the corner, which you know me. You know I am, like, miss Mm -hmm. out there, talk to everyone, you know, love doing Uh things, love being out. Like, as soon as dancing comes up. I shrivel. Mm -hmm. So I feel like Mm. I need to talk to your sister. (laughs) You do. I I cannot. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It really, I I like repaired the relationship with my body. Because body is so, I mean, and that's a huge part of self-value too, is just your body and how you treat it and how you embrace it and how you love it. You know, no matter what it looks like, but it's how it feels. And so it makes sense that dance therapy. Okay. Continue. Sorry. I was digressing. Oh, no, I I think that's so valuable because so many people say that. And 
it's like everyone says, oh, I can't dance. I think what they're really saying is like, I'm not confident in my body. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're saying, right? Because everyone can, like, I mean, some differently able people can't dance, you know, in the same way, but it's like everyone moves. And like, when you hear, like when Apple Bottom Jeans comes on, like, I can't just sit there. I can. (laughs) You know? I literally can. And it's not that I'm not confident with my body because I do have really good body image. Like, that's Mm -hmm. one thing. I mean, there are other things that I struggle with big time. But body image, I've always been pretty decent with, except Mm -hmm. when it comes to the way it moves. The way I walk, Mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable when I see video or whatever, the way I walk. um, Certain, like, I don't like how I hunch. I'm very uncomfortable with the way my body moves when I dance. Like, all of these things. Interesting. And, and it's so interesting. You're like, I feel like I I have a light bulb turned on here because I've always thought that, you know, I have body confidence and I feel, you know, feel good about, but maybe, I'm like, maybe I don't have as much as I think if I am too afraid to dance in front of people because I'm afraid I look bad. Like the way I, I move. I, I don't have may- rhythm, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's valid that you believe all of those things, but I think you could absolutely surprise yourself. And I want to. And I know, obviously, I know I can change anything because you've seen growth, my growth, over the last yeah. 10 years. I've seen, like, yes. I know it is possible to change it. And I'm really glad we're having this conversation because this is something that has been bothering me for a very, very long time about this dancing thing. So I want to hear more about your dance therapy. And here's the other thing I would I would offer, and this is also kind of the backbone of, like, month of movement. It's this idea that how you move your body and how you're willing to move it is how you move through life. Like it's mm-hmm. how you move mm-hmm. through these different feelings and emotions you experience. It's becoming aware of the tools in your tool belt and the things that you use to help you. And like becoming, a, it, it's so much like self-value is coming to awareness of certain things. And so, you know, one of the practices in this was like finding your tool for, like what is your, uh, like your sword, your cup, you know, like these different kind of like ideas of these tools that any person can have, right? That an alchemist can have to create alchemy, to like transform one thing into another, right? And what was really big for me as a photographer was when I could say out loud, oh, my cup, the thing I fill up and then pour out for others, that's my (laughs) camera, Like my camera is like this sacred tool that I have because it helps me create the visuals around feelings, um, around emotions, around things that I can't make sense of in my brain. And because of this tool I have and this skill set, I'm able to create images that literally help me make sense of life. And that's what my self-portrait practice has become. Um, And it's now what I can offer to other people. And that's also, I recently got a tattoo on my solar plexus because I'm really into human design right now and I'm a projector and I had decided to get a tattoo of a camera on my solar plexus already. And then I found out through human design that my energy center is my solar plexus and it's how I see others and am seen. Wow. And I went, oh yeah, I'm getting a camera on there. And I'm glad I had that reassurance because it hurt like hell. Uh, And I'm also glad I did that all in one session and not two. (laughs) But I love it because to me, it's this amazing tool that I have. And I think becoming aware of these different skills you have in these tools, it helps you realize where you need to spend your time Mm -hmm. and like what things are going to fill you back up. And so 
going back to the movement idea, right? And the body, like it's just a physical representation of everything going on inside. And Sue talks about that a lot in self-value with the body and where pain shows up and where these different Mm -hmm. things happen. Like your body's always telling you everything that it needs and it's always answering you. And Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things, especially in the last year is every time I feel like dancing, I know I made the right decision. Ooh, I love that. It's so intuitive, I feel like. Right? Like, and I used to just not even pay attention. But when, Mm -hmm. or when someone tells me something and I clap and throw my arms in the air and like scream, I'm like, I just let myself do that now. I let myself have these reactions. And I've noticed that, especially as a portrait photographer, like people coming into my space, like the more comfortable I am in my body, like the more comfortable the people around me are in theirs. Mm-hmm. And like the freer I am in mine. And I think that that probably will segue really well into like <laughs> some uh, really interesting things that hap- happened in my body last year that significantly impacted my life. But well, yeah, it's like <laughs> you were in the middle of of kind of this this really huge self-transformation, you know, and just learning so much about yourself and how to how you want to show up in the world. And then it's like, oh, and here's a really serious, extreme medical scare for you to throw in there. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, when, so last summer, um, <laughs> I love how you like literally took pictures of this happening. That's just oh so God. funny I'm, to me. Um, I ruptured my Achilles and while we were in Italy and just just running along, I mean, for photos. Well, okay, let, like, me, let me set pretty. the stage. We're at a castle. <laughs> In the foothills of the Dolomite Mountains in Italy, doing a photography workshop, and I was photographing you from above. And you were in this like billowy gown, and you were kind of like mm-hmm. waltzing past as I was photographing you. And then all of a sudden, you stopped. And I was up high, and I was like, Mitzi, are you okay? Are you okay? And our friend Olivia was there, and she was like, um, no, she's not okay. And we were like, I was like, oh my God. Olivia's like, anyway, shut so it down. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. So then you ended yeah. up rupturing your Achilles tendon, which. If, mm-hmm. I'm sure people are cringing hearing that because that's just horrible. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so, and that was a fun story to like tell all the doctors, you know, in the next couple months. Like I'm like <laughs> on my crutches. They're like, what happened? I'm like, well, I was being photographed in an, an Italian castle in a billowing white gown. They're like, oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was really, here's the thing. And I need to talk about this whole story more. I just haven't, I've been living in it for so long. I'm kind of in this spot now where I can like reflect on a lot of these experiences and actually, you know, put language around them and talk about them in the past tense, which is great. Um, But I remember I wrote in my journal the night before and after this, like pages and pages and pages, okay? Because the first day at the castle as we approached it, because of month of movement, because of this work I'd been doing for the previous couple of years, learning to listen to my body, as we approached this castle, I saw it and I said, my body told me, you need a portrait of yourself running in front of this castle in a billowing white gown, and then you'll learn what you need to know. And I turned to Olivia and I told her that. And I was like, I didn't bring a billowing white gown, but I was like, I just want to look like a beautiful spooky ghost and I just need this portrait. And I, I learned also in my self-portrait practice that I developed that it's like I make the imagery based around the feeling and the images that stand out to me. Then I create the photo, then I look at it, and then it tells me what I'm going through in that moment, right? So I knew that's what had to happen. Turns out there was a billowing gown that 
you know, was at the workshop and I just decided, I guess I could borrow it without asking anyone. Um, And then I asked you to photograph it, you know, and all that. And it's amazing because 10 minutes after we started shooting, this accident happened. And I'll never forget that night at 2 a.m. after spending like seven hours in the Italian emergency room and going back to my hotel with my temporary cast. And I'm journaling about all this and writing every detail. And then I wrote, stop running. Wow. Like that's what my body told me in that moment. Yeah. Because there were so many things I wanted to do. There was ways I wanted to teach. There, My speaking career was actually really starting to get going right before the pandemic. And then I had a baby during the pandemic and, you know, business had to shut down and everything was crazy for a while. And so I was recovering from that and trying to get my, put myself out there, but I was still really afraid and I was still processing a lot. And so in that moment, I was like, I'm running away. Like I'm, I'm not running toward what I want. I'm running away from it. And I was running at that moment in time, not toward expansive things and truly creative things. I was running toward, I need to make more money. I need to win more awards. I need basically all this external validation. And my body was like, that sucks. That's wilting you. You're not happy. Stop. And this accident also happened like two hours after I heard Terry Hofford say the words, as she told her story, in this, you know, in 2019 or whatever in my business, I was making more money than I'd ever made and I was more depressed than I'd ever been. And mm-hmm. in that moment, I started to cry. And again, even though my head didn't want to believe that I could relate to that statement, my body felt it. And I was like, oh, shit. And I told her later at lunch, I was like, you said that and that cracked the shell of my very hard heart. And... Yeah, then the accident happened a few hours later, and now I'm like, that's the greatest gift of my life because I had to face so much. I had to learn how to ask for help. Um, and then a few weeks after that accident happened, and then I had surgery on my leg, uh, a week after the surgery, I found out I had breast cancer. And then I got a bilateral mastectomy a few weeks later. So there was like, oh, I also had COVID. Oh my God, in between those when I got back. I mean, it was just... I had never felt more helpless in my life and scared and, oh my gosh, I do have a savings account for my business. Like I support my family, but um, I thought I could make it to the end of this leg issue with that, but now cancer, like, oh my God, you know, like, what am I going to do? And I just had to reach a point of surrender and I had to accept help because accepting help is just accepting love. Mm -hmm. And I had to- Totally. That's such a great way to look at it. I had to be able to get to this point where I was like, oh, I'm worthy of love even when I'm laying here in a recliner and literally cannot lift my arms or put weight on my right leg. Accepting like, help for, <laughs> I mean, obviously this can be for, you know, all genders or whatever, but I think for females in particular, there's something that tells us, whether it's society or from our parents or whatever, that that you're weak if you need help. And mm, and yeah. it is a, a very difficult thing to do to ask for help yeah. to accept even just when someone offers it. No, no, I got it. No, no, that's okay. No, 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 I I can I can totally handle it. As we're smiling and inside, we are slowly dying, like mm-hmm. screaming for help. And when mm-hmm. someone offers it for some reason, we still don't freaking take it. Mm-hmm. It's maddening. Anyway, so I feel like. And I wonder if I wonder if this is this is how you look at it now is all of those things weren't happening to you they were happening for you in some yeah. crazy way. Because 
I ended up having, you know, I chose to go flat after breast cancer and not do reconstruction. And um, I chose to just take both of them because when I had this really rapidly growing mass in my breast and at only like 31 years old, I was like, okay, like if I just get a lumpectomy, I'm fooling myself you know, like it's going to come back. I, I just, I the don't The fear of it coming back, this, I feel like would be debilitating. It would be, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I knew what I needed to do. And it was interesting because, again, listening to my body when I sat on that doctor's table and she told me the news, I remember in that moment, I knew in my gut what I had to do. I did spend a couple weeks researching, asking a lot of people their stories, you know, looking into it to kind of let my head catch up and be like, yeah, but like my heart knew right away. Um but really, and I, and I, I can only speak for my own life and my own experience with breast cancer. But I see that now as my body saying, "Stop over nurturing everyone except yourself." Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. been the lesson I've taken from that, and that's been the action that I've chosen to move toward because that was an area of my life that I was not setting boundaries in, even though I thought I had really like much better boundaries, you know, last year than I'd had in previous years and I was feeling pretty good about myself and yet I was still putting other people's dreams before my own and it was it was causing resentment and bitterness in me mm-hmm. and I'm like that's not especially as a new mom you know I really had a perspective shift because I was like if I'm just doing all this stuff for my family that and a lot of it that they didn't even ask me to do and it was taking up so much of my time and energy like and then I just, he just grows up with his mom, like resenting him. Mm-hmm. Like what, how is that loving? Like it's mm-hmm. not. And also he's going to do what I do. He's not going to do what I say. So if I want to raise a human being who cares for themselves and follows their dreams and does the things they need to do so that they can live a fulfilled life, like obviously it's going to have a positive impact on the people around him. And also, I don't know, he's just going to be like, the most full and beautiful version of himself. So I was like, at the same time, it was cool because I'm like, having him made me look at a lot of this hard stuff in a new way. Yeah. Because I'm like, and I'm sure you can relate, like having kids, it's like, it's just a, it's a huge perspective shift. Well, I feel like, it seems like when, when we are not really feeling fulfilled as a human being, it is very difficult for us to give and give and give to other people. Whereas, okay, so I'll back up a little bit. So for people who listen listening who don't know me or my background, I was a school social worker, a social worker and a school social worker for 12 years. I got my master's in social work. That's what I did. I I started a nonprofit, you know, doing autism advocacy and education in developing countries. Like my whole like persona, everything about me was helping other people, helping other people. When in reality, I need, before I, I, I shouldn't have been doing that before I was truly helping myself and healing and doing the self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And while right. I was, I was definitely trying and I was reading self-help books here and there and that sort of thing. Looking back, everything that I was feeling when I was a social worker, and that's not to say it was always like that for the first couple of years, I did love it. But it was, you know, during that time being so just depressed and unhappy, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do or how I was going to change that. I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't live with this feeling anymore of that. And I needed to start taking care of myself. 
and trying to make myself happy instead of trying to fix everyone else's lives. <laughs> and I'm not yes. trying to say that that's not important, that we shouldn't be helping other people or whatever, but we are in a better position and place and we are more helpful and we're doing it from a place of love and joy as opposed to helping someone out of bitterness and resentment because we feel like we have to and we're being taken advantage of and it's out of balance. When we yes, are in that's when the we, balance is the yes, exchange again. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what you want to heal in other people is what you really want to heal in yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's always easier, just like when, what Sue says, when you throw shame, it's yours. Just yeah. like it's easier to put your shame on other people and to judge other people, it's also easier to just try to fix everyone else because then you never have to look at yourself. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. It's and there's been this this series of like portraits that I've been doing now since the self-value workshop that that was absolutely a catalyst for because I had to believe the things I was about to tell my clients before I could offer it to them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But throughout that, it's so interesting, these principles and observations of like self-acceptance and, you know, people come up to me, oh, Mitzi, that project you're doing, like of just, you know, raw portraits and people accepting themselves as they are, that's so cool. My wife really needs to do that. And in that moment, I'm like, nope, that means you need that to do it. You need, yeah. I was just, <laughs> it resonated I was just with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so interesting because it's just like, I see, I see through all the bullshit now, like, mm-hmm. especially with myself, but also with other people. And, you know, it's, I've gotten closer to some friends and a little further from others. And that's fine. Cause I'm yeah. just, at this point, I, I got this really cool mantra I adopted last year after going through cancer, which is I didn't survive cancer to just, blank. Mm, You know, like I didn't survive mm -hmm. cancer to just show up at things and half-ass them and feel, you know, be in rooms with people where I don't feel like my voice is heard or pour into projects and give a hundred percent of my skill and time and effort to someone who doesn't value it. Like all this stuff, I just, all of that became really clear to me really fast. And I'm like, at any point, if I only if my cancer comes back at some point and I only have a year left, I think that sometimes and not in a sad way, but it's like, I'm like, am I doing the shit I want to do? Like, am I putting this stuff into the world and showing up the way I want to show up? Like I never, I haven't had cancer. Well, my best friend died from cancer. So I watched her go through it, but I think sometimes I'm like, am I just super fucking morbid? Cause there are times when I go to a, a pretty dark place. And then I'm like, nope, not today, Satan. Like, I'm not even really religious, but I always say that. Not today, Satan. <laughs> me, my kids, and when I say not today, Satan, that means me, my kids, and my husband, we are good today. Like, w- nothing's happening today. Because sometimes I, I do, I imagine, what would that, what would it be like if I was gone or something happened to my loved ones? I don't think it's morbid. It's just, I think oh, it's realistic. I hate when I go there. I have to, like, bring myself back up into joy. <laughs> like... Yes. And I think it's fine, right? It's like, okay, it's like the money thing. So many people avoid talking about money because they don't want to address the shame they have around it or the yucky, Mm -hmm. squidgy feelings, Mm -hmm. right? It's the same with death and grief. Like, we don't talk about it. Like, in the last year, I learned how to grieve, and it's just the other side of love. Like, I think a life with a lot of love is going to have a lot of grief, and we just don't talk about in our culture or, like, really— have good processes for grief. Like look at other cultures around the world and especially other time periods. Like there's there's people groups who take entire like weeks to just wail and cry when someone dies. You mm-hmm. know, like we 
in here it's like oh a one hour funeral and then like can you make it back to the office <laughs> and then let's go party you know, after yeah that? yeah yeah we'll, right. we'll, we'll like, go luncheon and everyone gets <laughs> wasted in parties and then like you said goes back to work it's yeah, right like it's I don't crazy. think we really know how to grieve and it's again it goes back to because our highest value in our society is money and you know grief doesn't make a lot of money <laughs> avoidance no. makes a lot of money oh yeah avoidance behaviors they make mm-hmm. a lot of money. So I think we like to avoid it. And so sometimes it's easy to just be like, oh, yeah, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to go there. But when you have to, you wrestle with it. And I think that's been one of the greatest lessons I've learned in the last year is just like, oh, grief is honoring and grieving and like honoring my feelings around something. And when I'm sad, something changes. And, you know, I have to release certain things in order to let new things in. And that's just part of life. And so, yeah, that's the self-value work has absolutely played a huge part in that. Well, you've you've mentioned it a couple times when you said the the self-value workshop, not this past one, but the the time before that was 7 months ago. Mm-hmm. You said that you you made some significant changes since then. Like what kind of well, one, what kind of changes have you made? And two, yeah. what was it about hearing you, what Sue was teaching that time. Because I feel, oh God, sometimes I feel like I've, I hear the same things 10 times, but as soon as I'm ready to hear it, then I hear it. Mm-hmm. I don't oh, know. Absolutely. Same thing. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Well, what I was able to put into words after that workshop in November was I had, at that point, I had just been back to work for about a month and a half. Um, you know, I'd come back after like my breast cancer stuff. I had started hormone therapy, which really rocked my world. I'd also found out that like having more children is not something that's going to happen for me. And I'd really grieved that. And so I'd like wow, been wrestling a with a lot, lot while my not, hormones yeah. also were getting completely like oh, effed God. up and yeah. you know, all that. But after the workshop, I remember thinking about the day after my bilateral mastectomy. So you go home the day after this surgery, even if you can't use your leg. So they send you home and I was laying in the recliner and I was still nauseous, like from the anesthesia. So I was kind of going in and out of sleep. I was so tired and I was hungry, but I was sick, you know, that awful feeling. And I kind of had this like dreamlike vision as I was laying there. And I imagined that I had fallen down a well and all I could move was my left foot. (laughs) Like I could wiggle my left toes and ankle because at this point my right leg's still in a cast for my Achilles surgery and I can't lift my arms. Like I can't even lift like a cup to my lips at this point. And so I'm laying down in this well and I remember looking up and all my friends and family are gathered around at the top of the well and they're throwing eggs down at me, but not in like a mean way in like, cause I was hungry and I think I just needed protein. So they're like, here, here's some food, you know, and I was down there and that's how I felt. And what I realized after the November workshop, which was a few months later, was that in my brain, I stayed in that well. I was so deeply entrenched in self-hate. I didn't even have the word or couldn't even say that until I went to self-value workshop. And I realized it because I think for a lot of us, self-hate is sneaky. We're not like looking in the mirror every day being like, I hate myself. Like usually we don't, but it shows up in the ways you treat yourself. It shows up in your belief systems. In the way you treat others. The things I say to my husband, mirror, mirror. Yeah. Yes. And the things you see in others that really piss you off, like all of that stuff, it's all there, right? And so going to that workshop gave me the language and everything around this and helped me understand where I really was. And it just brought me to awareness. And I was like, you know what? Self-hate sucks. And I'm going to try self-love now because this is 
this is miserable. And I was like, I also just used it as I realized that I, how much stock I had put in like what I believed an attractive woman was, you know, even though before then I was like, I'm a body positive person and everybody is valid and everybody is beautiful. And then like, I got my breast cut off and I basically was like, well, my value is gone. Oh, I can't have more children either. Am I even worthwhile existing as a woman? And that told me where I found my value, didn't it? Like, I don't think that you can realize where you find your validation until it gets cut off. And like mine literally got cut off. Yeah, no kidding. So I had this important visual and I had these decisions I had to make and I had to face all this stuff and sell value it gave me the tools to do that. And it gave me the framework and the structure to say, well, I choose to believe this and just to rewrite that in my brain and Mm -hmm. move forward. And Mm -hmm. the ripple effect since then, Nikki, I, I look back at last year now and I'm just like, oh, what a gift. Like what a gift. My body finally screamed something at me loud enough that I heard it and I decided to listen. Like I, it's remarkable. And thankfully because of the people, obviously it's all up to us, right? We're responsible for our lives and our decisions. But at the same time, like the community around you is huge and the self-value community of people has been just incredible. And I think I, I posted that in the group in November and I said, like you all pulled me out of the well. And I don't know. I, I think it's only just going to grow and get better from here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it will. So when you said I choose to believe, that, that's something that, a concept that I, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting. It's like, have I heard this concept before? I don't know. But when, at the last workshop, when Sue was saying, like, I choose to believe, there are so many messages I either misinterpreted or I was intentionally given maybe a combination of both throughout childhood Mm -hmm. that I have carried with me into adulthood that I no longer choose to believe. I choose to believe something else. And to be able to rewrite what you choose to believe is so powerful. And and to to see you mm -hmm. going through it and doing it is just, it's life-changing. And I think the first step is becoming aware of what you believe, right? And then being like, do I? well, do I want to believe that anymore? Like, I'm one of those people, I love rules. I think rules are so great, but if they're stupid, I think I they're terrible and I won't follow <laughs> them. <laughs> like, I like to learn the rules and I like to learn structure. And then I, if it doesn't align with what I want or what feels good, then I'm like, I'm just going to change it. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, That's the beauty is that we can. I think. I yes. think sometimes we get the idea that because this is how I was raised, or because this is what I was told as a child, that it is true and this is what it has to be. And this is not true. You can write whatever story you want. You can just yes. move on from it and be and believe whatever it is. It's just having the tools to to do it. And it doesn't have to take forever and it doesn't have to be hard. Mm-hmm. It's just... No, isn't that the thing? It's like It's like so... I think it's like deceptively easy. <laughs> That's the problem. Like it's too e- like it's so easy to you could just overthink it or like think you have to 
do all these things. Like it, it's like with listening to your body, right? I think it's the same way like Sue talks about there's plenty of money out there. You just have to stop blocking it from coming to you. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same way with your body. Like your body's always telling you and guiding you all the time. You just have to stop shutting it up and overthinking certain feelings and like, you know, rationalizing or avoiding those feelings and, you know, moving to avoidance behaviors and all of that to like cover up that momentary pain with momentary pleasure and all these different things. It's like all these, it's, it's all just like right here. It's just hard to look at. And the reality is like we've grown up in a, in a system and then in a culture and under a big umbrella that has raised us to believe that if we just buy this thing, then we don't have to feel pain anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why would we think that a life with pleasure would be exempt from pain? Like, it's just the yin-yang. It's just the other side of the coin. If you're going to experience great things, of course, if you're going to experience love, you're going to experience grief. Like, it's just part of it. And we don't have to be afraid of it. And we don't have to just buy a bunch of dumb stuff to cover it up. We can just face it and use it and move through it. And that's what these tools and self-value give you, like from your daily ritual to like these different, you know, um, exercises you can do, ways to think, ways to write, ways to talk to people about it. Like all of this stuff, it just becomes a big mindset shift. And then it just changes so many habits. And when you see things, like the further I think you walk in alignment, the more like on alignment stands out to you and you're like, oh, whoa, not going over there again, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like there's some conversations I've found myself in or around in the last few months where I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, nope, not contributing to that. And then I just walk the other way and I don't have to say anything to those people or I'm just like, that's not the energy I want to be in anymore. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, this has been really great. Thank you for sharing all of this. I'm I'm just I'm excited for you and I'm proud of you and I just adore you and this is this oh. awesome. I do have questions that I ask at the end yes. of each episode. <laughs> so we're gonna go through those one at a time um, and then we can mm-hmm. say our goodbyes. But perfect. All right. Question number one is: What would you tell people who are just starting out on the self value journey? Ooh, have grace with yourself. Please, like, Mm -hmm. give yourself kindness and patience. And just show up every day and do one thing. You know, it can get, I think it's easy to get syllabus shock at the beginning of something like this. Like, ah, I have to change my whole life by tomorrow. (laughs) And it's like, no, it's a process and you're always growing. And it's just, it's a mindset shift. Yeah, it is. I love that. Great advice. Okay, number two is if you feel yourself starting to regress a little bit, because let's be real, this is a, you know, it can ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself regressing a little bit as far as self-value goes, do you have any sort of like saying that you say to yourself or, you know, an act, physical act that you do? Like what brings you back to where you need to be? That's great. Like it's kind of like course correction. Yes, exactly. What brings me back? Um, 
oh, here's a good example. A few months ago, I wanted to start this big new project like to launch to offer my clients. And I made a huge (laughs) technical error when I did it. And I ended up inviting like 80 people to do this type of shoot with me. And then I accidentally had them all on the same in this in the CRM, it was like weird how it was set up, and I hadn't used it this way. Anyway, turns out the first person who replied and booked, it sent that booking receipt to oh. everyone. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Which it was super embarrassing and like a big ego shot. And obviously, I re- all these people then reaching out to me literally while I then had a client in for a shoot the rest of the afternoon. Like, oh my um, gosh! So it's not see, like you did can you handle just charge it my card, yeah. right? Like, oh, did you just charge no. my card this amount of money? Blah blah blah. And I'm just like, oh no, 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 I did it. And it was this whole thing that happened, and it was like the cringiest situation. But now, like back then, I would have let that. I think before self value, I would have let that completely kill all of my everything for the project. I would have just been like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Why did I try to step out? You know, I would have had this old story like, Mm -hmm. wow, whenever you Mm -hmm. try to do something new, this is how it blows up in your face. Like I realized all the stories that were going like, like, wow, I'm so Mm -hmm. stupid, like whatever. And then I went, no, I choose to believe that I have something very valuable to offer. In the future, I just need to outsource tasks like this. (laughs) And so that's what I do now. And I still had plenty of people book it. And now it's like, taken off and become this amazing thing I can offer people. And it's like, if if I hadn't switched that in that moment in my brain, I could have just stopped this whole amazing thing from happening and it would have all been me. So yeah, being like, no, I choose to believe that actually I have strengths in some areas and weaknesses in others. And I'm just going to play to my strengths from now on. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. And okay. I know this question doesn't really have so much to do with self-value, but I think it's fun. So I'm going to ask it. <laughs> what is your new favorite thing? So it could be any sort of book, product, um, a recipe, a TV show, literally anything, if you could pick yeah. a new favorite thing. Oh, I got this. But first, I'm just going to say, um, I think that a life lived in self-value has a lot more fun in it. And I know mine does. because mm-hmm. I. It's true. Don't, I'm not spending all my time and effort being like, am I productive? Because that's how I find my value. I'm like, no. Like, I find my value now. And like, am I enjoying my life? And like, I think you have to have fun to enjoy your life, <laughs> at least sometimes. So yes. uh, one of the things is, yes, it is my movie club. It's called The Video Society. And we started, um, we launched it in like December, actually. Like a few friends of, of mine and me. There's four of us. And we rent out our local cinema once a month and we have an awesome movie club and it is so much fun and it's just like like last time I mean I mean sometimes we talk about VHS we talk about like all this just weird so you know people say so bad it's good movies I don't believe they're bad I think they're wonderful but it's just a really awesome environment um and we have really great conversations about just the creative process and creation and to me, one of the reasons that I love movies so much is because I think they all connect us to each other because they are the heartbeat of all of our stories and all of our struggles and all of our, you know, the things that we as a society are working through together. It's it's our, I think it's our like campfire stories. You know what I mean? From like back in the day, like that's what movies are for our extremely individualized culture now. And I think they bring people together and I love them. And 
since starting that project or that that club, like just for fun, right? Not profit, not just to pour into it. It helped unlock this part of my brain that has absolutely benefited like my business and my personal life and friendships and relationships and all this stuff. So I think that's part of self-value is just having those other things that light you up, like for quote unquote, no reason. Like, no, it is a reason. Like having things that you're just excited to do, that's just going to open up more joy and opportunity and creation in your life. So Mm. it's my movie club. Very well said. And that's such a fun thing to do. I love it. Yeah. All right. Last question. Where can people find you online, Mitzi? Okay. MitziStarkWeather.com. And then um, Instagram. I really like Instagram. And TikTok at MitziStarkWeather. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. Yeah. If you told me that last year that I'd constantly be posting topless photos of myself on the internet <laughs> and for free, I would not have believed you. But that's kind of my thing now. And for free. And I just, love how you throw that in. I'm there. going with it. It's hilarious. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for this, Nikki. It was so great to talk to you about this and have you as someone in this community because it's just really amazing. I feel the same. I feel the same about you. Sweet. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Value Podcast. If you want even more about self value to start changing your own life, head over to selfvalue.com where you can find all of the education you need to start reaching your full potential. Also, your five star reviews really help us to continue what we do. So if you like listening, would you mind giving us a review wherever you listen? We really appreciate it. Well, that's all for today, but don't forget to head over to selfvalue.com.